Welcome to Burned by the Firewall, an Occamsec podcast. Uh, hello and welcome to this season one finale episode of Burned by the Firewall. Today, Mike and I are joined by Cynthia Bowman, Head of Global Audit at Dover Corp. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you. Hey, Cynthia. So again, thanks for joining us. Um, could you take a little bit of time and tell us about yourself and how you became the Head of Global Audit at Dover? Sure. Um, so first of all, um, I'm really glad that you guys invited me to, to join into the program today. Uh, this is my first one, so forgive me for rambling on more than necessary. Um, but originally, I grew up in a small town of Minnesota and uh, really didn't have much of a, I guess, understanding of what audit was when I was first going into the workforce. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something that was outside of the small town. And my dad gave me the uh, advice that you probably need something like a CPA or some kind of credential to get yourself sort of differentiated and, and out of the, the little town. And so I did that, studied up, um, joined a firm called KPMG, originally began in the external audit practice. And since I had had some work experience before I joined I um, went into audit and focused mainly on manufacturing type clients, uh, a few consumer goods products, companies, and, and that kind of thing. And sort of over the course of that experience, I decided that external audit was probably not where I wanted to end up. Um, but this world of mergers and acquisitions sounded really exciting. And the accounting firms at that time were expanding out into the advisor services practices, and M&A was one of them. And they um, had opportunities in seven big cities, New York being one of them, and I'd always wanted to live in New York. And so I made the big leap of uh, going into M&A in New York, moved there six months before 9-11. 9-11 hit, Uh, the deal market kind of dried up. Um, there was a lot of, uh, let's just you know call it uh, disruption in the New York area. Um, and so a number of us did special projects. Um, I worked on some interesting, you know, different projects in, you know, forensic accounting and things like that. But long term, you know, I didn't know that that was going to be where I wanted to, to land either. And so ultimately, uh, these gentlemen called Mr. Sarbanes and Mr. Oxley passed some major legislation that had a massive impact on the accounting industry. And so I was approached by uh, the partner that I worked with. His wife worked in the internal audit practice at KPMG and said, you know, are you interested in something like this? And I said, yes. So I met her, moved into the practice, and Dover was one of my first clients. So um, kind of cutting out some of the details, Dover was a big client for me. We did the initial uh, implementation of SOX there, uh, worked with them on a number of projects for about nine years before the head of audit role was open. And uh, ultimately, that's kind of how it happened. Fantastic. Sounds like an interesting journey. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So we have a... um... Uh, an icebreaker question, uh, which is not technical, but has technical undertones. And um, so we ask our guests, uh, what was your favorite piece of childhood technology? So it's kind of hard because I, without giving up 
too much information on my age because that's that's something that uh, females tend to like to do. But I'm pretty old school, and um, the game of Simon, if if anybody remembers what that was, the kind of round electronic game with the different colored lights that basically you were trying to uh, you know, repeat back the different tones and light sequences. That was probably something that I spent a lot of hours doing. But, um, you know, it, in thinking about that question, you know, just think about really what technology was back then and what it is now. You know, um, I went to school and it was really cool for us when we went from having the actual chalkboards to having the, you know, um, the overhead projector screens and things like that, that the teachers would write on. So, you know, technology can be pretty basic and it has been over the course of my life. Well, I, I, I love that choice. I mean, actually I had a Simon as well. Um, yeah. which used to frustrate the hell out of me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was always trying to find more batteries. <laughs> yep. You were yeah. I had one too. And that definitely frustrated me as well. And, and I think this this next question, Cynthia, is is one that uh, it, it may frustrate some people within different companies, uh, mm -hmm. just because of the, the the dichotomy between how you approach approach them. But mm -hmm. as head of global audit, um, you have to look at both uh, external and internal threats, right? So, mm -hmm. how do you manage the differences between those two those two threats, and which do you worry about more? Because again, in a, in a company, some companies tend to focus on one or the other, and then you have different silos that focus on one or the other. So how do you how do you manage that? So I guess I would take a step back from that. And, and this is really, I think, relevant to the way my peers look at it. Um, you know, internal and external threats really don't um, make the first cut of how we look at things. You know, we're looking at actually the universe of risk. And of the universe of risk, IT risk is one of many different things. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me and, and a lot of my peers on, on this topic is um, because of the way technology is so pervasive and such a, you know, a foundational enabler to business processes. And because there are a lot of, um, you know, technical terms and jargon and things like that, that, you know, a lot of us are maybe not, it's not our first language, if you will. Um, so it, it can be an intimidating topic for people in my position. Um, so the way that I think about internal and external um, risks in our, you know, universe of risk is um, what do our, what are our basic threats and how are our people and processes aligned to deal with those threats. And so the, you know, the, the technology solutions, I guess I use uh, some of the people on my team that have a much deeper expertise in that. And I have a very strong linkage with our IT and, and security team um, to make sure that we're speaking in the same language. We really understand what the risk is and what we're doing about it. Interesting little side note, our CISO, at Dover actually came out of the internal audit group. And so he was my first hire when I came to Dover. So we have a pretty well-defined and well-orchestrated cadence of what we're doing about it. Um, but as far as internal versus external threats, I think um, in general, internal threats are harder to manage 
because of the fact that you really want to have a, a trusting, open environment and you want to be very cautious about the tone that you're implementing into your businesses. You know, everybody from the outside knows that, hey, that's that's not your stuff. Inside the company, you obviously want to have people having access to things. Uh, and so it's it's really not something that's, like I said, it's just a delicate thing that you want to to balance carefully. Yeah, I guess in terms of the staff and, and, and business internally, for having it as frictionless as possible is important because no right. one wants to be going through seven layers of, of things right. just to go and do their job. Right. Um, which kind of also leads on to the next question. Um, you know, we, we often have discussions with CISO and CTOs around um, the difficulties they have in getting buy-in from management mm -hmm. uh, on cybersecurity spend, um, the difficulties in justifying it. Mm -hmm. Usually because, you know, if cybersecurity is done well, uh, nothing happens. Uh, right. So what kind of discussions do you have um, and observations or tactics would you use to get management on board to deal with or, or accept the risks? You know, I, I think um, management buy-in these days on tech risk or cyber risk is a much easier sell than maybe it was five or 10 years ago. And where um, you know the board level buy-in, the management buy-in, I'd like to say that I have great influencing skills and I, I think that I do, but there's so much outside, I guess, communication. There's so much thought leadership. There's so many different elements of information coming to people about the severity of this risk. You know, the headlines are all always talking about, you know, the SolarWinds hack or the Microsoft hack. Um, and so I think, the bigger problem is making sure that we're spending the money as uh, constructively, again, addressing the risk than it is to, you know, kind of jump at the, the shiny object. I think that, uh, you know, we have many, many tools that we use, and it's, it's more a matter of making sure that we're using the money on um, things that are really going to have an impact versus using every tool just because it's a tool and it's the most recent one that's been released. Uh, the other piece of it is, again, that the tools are just tools. The tools mean nothing if you don't have good basic hygiene, if you don't have good solid process and people really understanding what the output of those tools is telling you and how to use that information accordingly. But, you know, again, thinking through cyber risk, it's it's really so similar as you know, far as how you approach it to pretty much other risk. You know, you don't want to spend more money on something than the the impact of the loss would be. So for instance, uh, if all we're trying to protect is a flyer, shall we say, you or or something that is public information or something that you know is is not too valuable. You don't want to spend all of your assets uh, defending that. Conversely, if we've got trade secrets or if we've got um, really sensitive personnel information, those are the areas that we want to focus our resources on. And I think we do a, a pretty good job of doing that. Yeah, I think you touched on I guess from a high level uh, a, a term that we like to say anyways, is there's really no silver bullet when it comes to security. Mm -hmm. There's no one tool that fixes everything. And often the more tools you add, the more risk you add, especially mm -hmm. if you're not configuring it properly. So, um, you know, I think, you know, recently in Texas, uh, there was this, this record cold streak and mm -hmm. you guys down there had uh, a 
you know, millions of people without power. It was a national story. It was a tragedy on, on, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that raises or, or has that raised a larger question uh, about infrastructure resilience, not only against cyber attacks, but within the ESG risk group in general? You know, so personally, I'm speaking to you from a little place called Georgetown, Texas, which is just north of Austin. And uh, as you said, I was experiencing um, that story real time. We had, I want to say, close to a week of very intermittent power and really the coldest days, which, you know, they they don't mirror anything um, that I grew up with in Minnesota. But for Texas, this was totally unheard of. It was something like seven degrees and uh, our houses are not built to withstand that. And to have all of a sudden, uh, you know, we knew the storms were coming. We knew that it was a risk that we would lose power, but we really didn't appreciate, I don't think, um, the unpredictability of when we'd get it back. And other places in Texas, you know, that are along the coast, um, you know, they have generators and things like that. But this is, you know, something that, as you said, it's just record setting. I think the grid situation in Texas is obviously something that's going to be uh, conversed about for a long time. Um, but as I was telling a number of my friends, you know, light was the least of our problems. Um, having um, things like uh, the water, which we wound up, you know, having to boil water for a couple of weeks, you know, really being able to even find gasoline, um, even as recently, and you know, it's almost a month ago that it happened, but as recently as last week, the grocery stores didn't have full dairy cases um, because when the state shut down. I mean, it shut down and, and pretty much anything perishable just went away. And, and it was the whole state. You couldn't find, you know, any trucks could move and everything like that. So, um, you know, the thing that I kind uh, of, I don't know, it, it dawned on me more properly is that it doesn't have to be a severe weather event. It can be many, many different things. And I lived through, um, there was a pretty significant blackout in New York City in 2003. You know, and again, the power came back reasonably quickly, but I think we all live in a um, world where we don't realize how dependent everything is on electricity. You know, our cell phone signals weren't working. Our, you know, there's no Wi-Fi. Clearly, <laughs> there's, there, there's nothing. And uh, having some kind of, um, I guess, backup plan. I was talking to our our uh, one of our executives about. You know, I'm all in favor about having my gas powered car because I could actually move the gas powered car. I couldn't do anything without the electricity. You know, and if, if we're all driving Teslas, it's it's not going to be the case. So it, it really is a, a terrifying prospect. And I think that it um, deserves more than just a conversation of whether or not Texas should have its own grid. It, it deserves a far larger conversation about our infrastructure and our susceptibility to risks like that. Yeah, I think um, I think too. Coming from Hawaii, I can relate to that because you know we like like mm-hmm. you are are a state that we can't borrow power when it goes mm-hmm. out. As mm-hmm. recently as last night and just the other day, we had massive amount of flooding that happened. Like twenty inches of rain fell in one day. People were without power, and so something that we think about often out here. So I can I can res- that resonates with me. I can relate to that. 
and it, it makes those those shows like the doomsday prepper guys seem a little less crazy that they're ready yeah. for any of this stuff yeah. and it's kind of almost like a, a primer for everybody to start thinking about those things in a more serious way right Right. Yeah, I'm not going to go doomsday, um, but we definitely don't let uh, certain grocery items go low on stock. <laughs> we, we will be looking into a generator. We already have um, gotten the technical guys uh, looking at our fireplace uh, because that was honestly a, a saving grace on the coldest day. So it, lots of things to think through. And like I said, it's, it's a much bigger conversation that I think the average American and certainly Americans in large cities um, maybe aren't used to thinking through, um, you know, thinking again back to the New York City one. Um, you know, it's not like you could go anywhere because A, you couldn't get gasoline if your car wasn't full already. Um, and, you know, bridges, tunnels, lights, everything's gone. I think um, also, from, well, from my point of view here in London, the, the, uh, the COVID situation brought out in terms of food and, and people, yeah. um, you know, stripping the shelves, you know, realizing that, you know, really you should keep a couple of cans of tin tomatoes at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then also recently we had a, a very a small water outage that lasted only about 24 hours. Right. But then suddenly you felt very helpless. You can't even clean your teeth. You're like, there's no yeah. water and I can't go anywhere because we're not allowed out. <laughs> it's just like, what are we supposed to do? Right. Uh, uh, as a slight a camping enthusiast and almost a little bit of a prepper. I've actually got a, a life straw. Mm -hmm. So I could actually go to the local duck pond if I had to <laughs> <laughs> and drink that water as a very last resort. But obviously I held back from that. That's funny. Yeah, my mom does have, uh, she did some volunteering for uh, one of the disaster relief places here locally. And there's some kind of a water purifying cup. I didn't even know what it was, but I'm thinking, you know, it's a cup the size of, you know, a 20 ounce bottle. I'm going, how much purifying are we going to have to do just for our daily lives? It's like those little ones, you've got to pump it. So you're sitting mm -hmm. there. Yeah, you'll get water, but it'll take a while and a lot of work. Right. I mean, talking about water, I guess, I mean, like with the Florida water uh -huh. attack, you know, again, that, that cyber attacks are now so prevalent in the media. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's having, obviously, we kind of covered it a little bit before in one of your other answers, but do you think that's having a, a more noticeable impact on how companies see and handle risk management? You know, um, I would answer that in the context, not in necessarily of, of companies, because I think it's a, a broader public um, awareness. Um, and I'll answer it in um, respect to, uh, I watch a lot of documentaries. And if you've seen the documentary on HBO, it's called Manhunt. And one of the former heads of CIA, you know, talked about 9-11. And it wasn't as though there wasn't a lot of news stories on terrorist threats before 9-11, shall we say. But until we had an incident of that magnitude, all of those things, you know, it wound up being sort of like, a, yeah, 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 I'll get to it at, at some point. But there wasn't the foundational structural changes that, you know, happened with regard to security. Um, and even thinking through physical th security until 9-11 happened. And I, I don't like to be a glass half empty person, but I do get concerned that, you know, until something really does happen, 
um, people might still take more time than we should in in putting the right defenses in place. Yeah, it seems like the more information that comes out about the risks associated with, you know, your own personal data that's out there and where people are, are putting it and what people are doing, you know, with, with themselves, with their own profile mm -hmm. online, it almost seems like Americans specifically, I'll just address America, they don't really care. So they, they, they know the risk is there, but in contrast to what happened with 9-11, once we knew it was there, we went through a bunch of changes. But now we know all this stuff and America is just so dependent on technology and being connected, mm -hmm. it keeps rolling right on through and they yep. don't really care, it seems. So I guess in, in talking about the topic of change and you know you being a senior woman in, in terms of uh, your role within the company in a global position, um, can you speak on just gender diversity and the changes that you've seen in your career um, along that topic, um, whether it's it's good or bad? Well, um, I think with regard to you know women in the workplace, um, it, it's pretty interesting because, as I said, I'm not a newbie. Um, I started out kind of in an era where I you know it, it never dawned on me that there were issues related to, you know, like I would be discriminated against or anything like that. And, and I have to say, in general, I have not had negative experiences. And, and part of that is, you know, not looking to be offended. We have a little bit of, I think, a push-pull in our society. Um, and, you know, even internationally, you know, sometimes it doesn't occur to you to be offended. And sometimes, you know, people don't really understand how they're being offended or offensive. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of work still to do because, you know, you get more and more, um, the more experience you have on the topic, the more you realize, well, wow, that situation probably wasn't great. And yet you can't change the past. And while the past is good from a learning perspective, perspective. It shouldn't be, you know, I, I, I think about, uh, you know, going back in time and, you know, holding people accountable for everything that they said 20 years ago, that in today's world would be offensive. It, it That's really not a fair bar. And um, I think that, you know, right now, I think there's a lot of momentum around um, not just women, but also just broader diversity um, and making sure that we're thinking about including diversity, you know, for instance, on my team, um, I think a lot about, I think I am the only Caucasian on my team now that I think about it, which is <laughs> interesting and not by design. You know, we are really just looking for the best people. And uh, it wound up being that uh, that's, that's who we got. So I, I think it's really just having an openness and an interest in other people with other backgrounds. Um, I said a long time ago to a number of my teams um, in, in KPMG that you know, if we had a team of a bunch of blonde, crazy people like myself, um, that would not be an effective team. You know, we need to have people from different walks of life with different attitudes and experiences and, and talent. And, and I don't think you get that uh, if you're not thinking about it from a diverse perspective. I 100% agree. And I think from a point of view, our own company, you know, we we look to have a diverse team of skills, you know, mm -hmm. so that we do bring more to the table. Everyone's, if everyone's got the same skill set, you're not, you know, right. it's like that was it was this phrase, um, 
you know, if, if everyone's saying the same thing, somebody's not thinking. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's funny, I, I even, you know, in a less uh, professional environment, um, you know, sometimes you see some of your family members that they agree on everything and they've solved all the world's problems. And, and you kind of go, but you've actually not seen the world and you've not really uh, um, applied your logic to a situation that someone from that you know, region or that point of view might be thinking. So no, you're not fixing it. You're not solving it with your very uh, righteously felt beliefs. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they're fixing a problem in terms of their own worldview, it's, mm -hmm. which isn't fixing yep. a problem. So right. definitely. So what advice would you then have for women who are starting out to look for a career in the technology field, given your journey? I would, you know, I wish that I could say to you that my journey was really thoughtful as far as I knew where I wanted to wind up. That was absolutely not the case, other than I knew I wanted to get out of my small town and at some point live in New York City. That was my goal. So what I would say is get the best, um, most rounded experiences you can possibly get and um, don't you know, fixate on one certain thing, one certain company, you know, the advice my dad gave um, that I was talking about is, you know, the CPA exam was going to be something that differentiated me. And when I think about the different experiences that sort of changed the trajectory of my career, I would point to a couple of different things. One, that, you know, that CPA, the external audit financial statements, I, I really, um, for people that are in business, I think, you know, you can't say it more loudly. That is a fabulous type of experience to have, even if you only have a couple of years of it. Um, the next thing that I think really differentiated me, and I think I've still got plenty of improvements that I can make in the area, is um, doing a lot of teaching. Um, and you know, it wound up being the unfortunate uh, event of my father's passing where I needed to have more flexibility in my role that I got very involved in teaching courses at KPMG. And that led into um, doing some methodology development work to working on some national kind of thought leadership things. And then, like I said, a lot of teaching and you learn pretty quickly that you're either going to uh, be able to speak coherently for a, a you know, period of time, or you're going to just pass out and die. <laughs> and, and you will, you will get through it. Um, you know, I had such stage fright and such um, nervousness in talking to people. Um, but being able to communicate in a um, quasi intimate fashion, and I hope you take intimate in the tone that I'm, I mean it, that's how you influence. So being able to write succinctly to be able to speak to people to use influencing and to really be open both in you know when people are trying to teach you things and different roles that you're approaching and and get as many different experiences as you can and the the last thing that i would say is make sure that you find some friendly audiences and make them diverse friendly audiences you know um mentors aren't people that are chosen for you or that you instantly choose. They kind of evolve over time. 
And again, they should be in different forms and shapes because you will benefit a lot from them. And I could speak about, I don't know, maybe half a dozen people that really gave me a lot of positive uh, advice, even though, you know, they weren't, they weren't meaning to necessarily, I call them my senseis. No, yeah, sure. I, I can relate to that too. I think if you're in this industry, specifically IT security risk, there's so many topics out there. You're never going to be an expert on everything. And mm -hmm. you really do have to sort of crowdsource that mentorship, that leadership from other people so that you can continue to evolve um, and that you don't fall behind in the things that you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of that, I mean, I know I feel this very much personally, um, but especially you at, at your level on a global level being so busy. Do you have any advice on how to balance life between work and between home? Because again, for me, I know I can open up my computer at eight in the morning and I can still be sitting in front of it at 8 p.m. And I may have just moved to maybe use a restroom and grab a glass of water and lunch. But I find it very easy to fall into that pattern, especially in the COVID era right now. Mm -hmm. So just curious if you can be a mentor for our listeners and, and maybe how you uh, create that balance in your life. So um, first of all, I'm not sure that I'm perfect at this. Um, but COVID has, I guess, reemphasized the importance of doing that, especially, you know, when your office and your gym and your sleeping areas and your eating quarters are the same, it's really very difficult to, you know, try to figure out where boundaries should be. And I don't know that the boundaries have to be perfect, hard and fast. I'm, I'm not really big on that, but one thing that, I actually started for a completely different reason. I started, believe it or not, just to lose weight and to be more fit because I had gone up a couple of flights of stairs at the office and I was like breathing heavy. And I was 27 years old, 27. And I was breathing heavy from a flight of stairs and I went, okay, this has got to change. And I knew because of the way that, you know, work schedules were. And I also was, um, Believe it or not, in kamikaze fashion, I was getting my MBA at the same time. So I knew the only time in the day that if I were going to make it happen, was like to exercise was going to be the morning. So since the age of 27, I have had a pretty, I guess, consistent. And I mean, like I've, I've never fallen off of it. You really need to work out. You really need to focus on your health first. And um, you also need to focus on your relationships and have them because as I tell my people all the time, you know, you're a human being first and foremost, you are not a machine and you can, you know, spend 20 hours a day doing this stuff and you are actually going to see diminishing returns on your effectiveness and meanwhile, your life is, is fading away from you. So, um, you know, I don't know that you need to uh, have, you know, really hard and fast rules. Uh, I, right now, one thing I do is I walk the dog first thing in the morning, every single day, and it gets me outside, you know, be able to breathe fresh air. <laughs> I know Davin, you can't do that. I'm sorry, but it's, it's, uh, we don't even have to wear masks here because it's so wide open. It's okay. I'm allowed to walk the dog. So. Okay, that's good. <laughs> and it has been actually a saving yeah. grace i have to say you know just yeah. just getting that that exercise you know it's um yeah. fresh air yeah one other thing that i would i would say is lists i am not one of these people that is um absolutely militant about lists and crossing everything thing off the list 
but a list will keep you focused. And I kind of make a list of things that are kind of like critical imperatives of this has to get done today. And then sort of a list of things off to the side, because I think, you know, I find that I work best in the morning on things that are, that require some thought. And there's other things that, you know, maybe don't take as much thought or don't take, you know, it's just more, I don't know, basic block and tackling that you can kind of fill in uh, when you need a mental break. So being able to sort of use the pieces of time that really are going to be effective effectively will help you not be so overwhelmed. You know, the last thing that I like doing is, you know, I would never be able to write a term paper overnight. I never once pulled an all-nighter, by the way. I don't know how many people can say that, but I knew that I would never be able to be effective anyway. Um, so I'd, I would never study all night because it wouldn't work. Yeah, turning up tired for the exam probably has the absolute opposite effect. <laughs> yep, exactly. Is there... Um... So one thing that you've learned during your career that you would say, this is the one thing you'd want to pass on as a gem, a nugget of information. One thing. I, I think it really comes back to open mind, even temperament, and um, don't get discouraged. You know, we all have bad days and um, we all have been in toxic environments and a lot of times you just need to take a step back and kind of, you know, put all the, the building blocks of your broad life. You know, we talk about risk, you know, IT is a very important risk, but it's not the only risk there is, you know, your work and your career is not the only building block of your life. Um, and so you kind of making sure that you take the step back and reflect on really what matters, you know, is this meeting that you really felt that you screwed up in? Um, is this podcast that you were on that maybe you didn't say everything as eloquently as you wanted to, is it going to matter a ton in a year? Maybe not. And, and, and I think having that, uh, mental, I guess, uh, calm about it, I think can help you a lot. Very wise. I think it's a fantastic advice. And, uh, I don't, don't worry. I don't think you've, uh, not spoken. <laughs> spoken incredibly well on this and answered the questions uh, amazingly so uh, uh thank you for that and I, and I guess i guess that's all the questions we have at the moment um so mike is there anything else you'd like to add no i just think you're i think that's great advice cynthia thank you for you know for sharing that i think um that's a great way to to look at it uh especially given given this industry that's very fast paced there's always high demands and you mm -hmm. always think that what's going on today is the most important thing that you're ever going to have to do in reality i think that's just great perspective so from my perspective out here in hawaii i, I appreciate your insight i appreciate your time coming on the show and uh yeah look forward to maybe having you come on again maybe next season that would be great this has been a lot of fun and uh thank you guys for making this process as uh i guess approachable as possible and uh look forward to seeing you hearing you again thank you it's been an absolute pleasure all right gang well that was a a fun interview with cynthia and we appreciate everybody tuning in and, and listening not only to this episode but also to the entire first season i think we've enjoyed ourselves and uh we certainly look forward uh to seeing you again next season and uh we'll see you next time on burned by the firewall mm -hmm.